We'll turn back to the Word of God tonight, to the book of the Psalms, in Psalm 90. And in Psalm 90, in particular, we'll look at verse 12. We will mention other verses on the way through, but verse 12 is our text this evening, from which we will address our thoughts. Um, Psalm 90 and 12, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And here we have a compelling calculation for a new year. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the peace that we've just listened to, that Helena sung to us. How do you know? How do you know? But your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight. None of us knew. There will be people in our city who will die tonight. There will be people in Northern Ireland who will die tonight. That could include any of us. We don't know how long or short our time is. And this is just reality. Lord, we know that. And in our Bible passage tonight, no doubt, we are hearing Thy voice, and Thy voice is telling us about the brittleness and the brevity of life. And so we pray that we will, as the psalmist Moses here in this oldest psalm, he's telling us right away back in time about the need to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord, come and apply Thy Word by Thy mighty Spirit unto hearts and minds tonight. And in all things may souls be benefited and saved. And may Thy name be magnified, glorified amongst us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Moses had just received bad news. And as he came to write the 90th Psalm, this terrible, tragic news is the backdrop for it. He'd been told that because of the sins of disobedience and unbelief, he and the rest of the children of Israel who had sinned in this way were going to spend the remainder of their existence in the wilderness. They would live there, they would die there, they'd be buried there, but they would never see or sample the joys of the promised land. If ever a person woke up to devastating, depressing news, it was right here. What did Moses do? We find that he prayed. And that prayer is recorded here. 
And one of the highlights, if we can term it that, certainly a major part of it, we have in verse 12 here, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Our paraphrasing it, Lord, teach us how to live as a people who are going to die soon. Our time on this earth is short. Help us to use what remains of that time wisely. Help us to do the right thing. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And those words that tonight for us outline a compelling calculation for a new year they can't, you see, just be limited or confined to the children of Israel, to Moses and those who would die along with him ultimately in that wilderness, because they apply to us as much today as they did to them many, many centuries ago. And as they challenge them, so they challenge us. As they grip them that day, so they grip us in this day in which we live. And they have living power and real traction in our hearts and lives and minds even today. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Notice, first of all here, that an account is to be taken. An account is to be taken. So, teach us to number our days. Now, it wasn't so much the case that they were going to be able to work out somehow when they were going to die the time of their death. Nothing of the sort. This numbering of the days is to realize my time is limited. My days are numbered. And in the light of that, I need to think of the spiritual work that has to be done within the time that I have left. I need to do business with God. I need to set things right. And there's a limited time for me, for everyone, in which I can do that. And so, at the end of every day, what do we say? We say, that's another 24 hours that have passed in front of my face, and what I've done in them should be lasting, should be worthwhile. What I've done within those 24 hours should have seen me drawing close to God. To number our days means that we must compare our hours with the preparation that we've made within those hours for death, for the grave, for God's eternity, and we must have taken precautions against the wrath and the judgment and against a burning, boiling hell that God in His Word faithfully and graciously tells us about. Flee from the wrath to come. Like Christian, when the hands of terror took hold of his heart within the city of destruction, and he had read the book and it told him that he was headed for doom, and he realized, I need to get out of here, and I need to make my way to the celestial city, so we should, as we live in this world, Make preparation for the world to come. Have you made that preparation? Have you taken these precautions? You should, for that's the only safe and sure way in which you can number your days. 
let me remind you about the shortness of our time. David was thinking of that when in another Psalm, Psalm 39 in verse 5, he said, Thou hast made my days as an hand breadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and the verse 15, we have an echo of that. For there we read, For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. And we can back up into our psalm here in Psalm 90 and look at the verse 4, and here we have another calculation about time. And it's saying regarding God, a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. There's another reference to time in verse 6 and verse 5 as well. And then look at verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a teal that is told. And in the margin of my Bible, against the word teal there, a teal that is told is the word sigh as quickly as we can emit that air that constitutes a sigh in the sight of God. That's the time we have on this earth. In all of this, one thing is certain, the number of days that we have are few. How many have you spent already? How many have you misspent? If you haven't made preparation for eternity, if you've been roaming from one set of vain and empty pleasures onto another set of vain and empty pleasures, from one arena of frivolity and ungodliness and wantonness onto another, the time has gone by and it will never return. But again, how uncertain is the number of days that remain to us? We can't say, I will do this, I will do that tomorrow, because we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We can't begin to reckon up the days that we have left, because frankly, we don't know. Maybe it's the greatest significance here that Moses, when he's writing here about our time, he doesn't plumb for the measurement of years. He doesn't even talk in terms of months. Weeks is not the unit that he employs here in terms of measurement. We're not told to, oh no, number your years, number your months, number your weeks. In the very fine detail he goes, and he brings it very close to us, and he says, it's not even one Sabbath to another that we're thinking about here, but days. That's the unit of measurement. So teach us to number our days. And that impresses upon your mind and mine, if nothing else does, that time is short. Not only that, we have a reference here to the swiftness of our time. Picture a little child, and the child may be sitting in the boat. Let's put, put the boat in the middle of the great Mississippi River in America, and it's in flood tide, 
And that child is pulling in the oars, and he's gliding along very quickly on that course. And he's looking at the banks, and he sees the banks on either side, and they're flying past him. And he thinks, well, I'm the reason behind all of this remarkable headway. Look how fast I'm rowing here. Well, no doubt he is contributing something towards that. But if he wants to know how strong he is, how quickly he can row, turn it around and try to row up the stream. From the moment we appear in this world, it's like we're on that boat, and there is no getting off it quickly, because it's going so fast, going so speedily. Job 7 and 6 describes it graphically and takes us out of the sea to dry land here and brings us down to Coltraw, I guess, and into the old room there where the weaver would have his place. Job says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. You have another picture or analogy in Psalm 90 in the verse 5 and 6 if we look at that. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. One picture, they are as asleep. Another picture, In the morning, third picture, they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. Picture after picture, all telling us how quickly our lives pass. Down the river of time we are going. due to an irresistible divine power bringing us to eternity. It's the strength of the Almighty that drives us along. And one day, if we're not converted to Him, having changed by the Spirit of grace and supplications, repented of our sin, exercised faith in Christ, we'll be plunged into the rocks of tremendous justice, and we will go there as a shipwreck. You and I are passing. Passing very quickly along, the hymn writer says, and we sing it on Remembrance Day, swift to its close, ebbs out life's little dame, earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Even now in winter, we have all the remainder and dregs of autumn with the leaves now stuck to the ground, but they've all dropped off. Onto the ground they are, hundreds of sermons, thousands of sermons preached all along the roads, from the trees. Isaiah 64 and 6, we all do fade as a leaf. Sometimes we sing, life at best is very brief, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheep and the emphasis in the hymn, be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast, and your hopeless doom, because the deadline will be passed, be in time. Richard Pickett used to say, improve time in time, while time doth last, for all time is no time when the time is Past. And that was Moses' point. 
number our days. There's an account to be taken. And then secondly, there's an application to be made. An application to be made. He says here in Psalm 19 to verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The application that is to be made, we are to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wisdom should be our goal. Wisdom, you know, will warn us. It will warn us about God's judgment against sin, that we're not going to get away with it. It will warn us of the need to press for Christ's conversion. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need to be saved. Thy word again and again tells me that Zacchaeus, wisdom will get us to Christ because he is the wisdom of God. And when the psalmist is saying, Moses here, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, ultimately he is appealing that we'll get to Christ. He is wisdom personified. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24? These words, but unto them which are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And in Proverbs chapter 8, there's a beautiful picture that's painted of wisdom. And when you begin to read there and explore all of the features and the facets of wisdom, you're thinking, this is a person, not just a commodity that's in view here, being described here, and it's Christ who's being described in Proverbs chapter 8. Take, for example, verse 22, 27, and 30, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old, when He prepared the heavens… I was there when he set a compass upon the face of the depth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. It's a person, and that person is Christ. He is the wisdom of God, and he is the wisdom that we need. And so the psalmist here, he is saying, in effect, be wise and seek him. Apply your heart to know him. Search him out. And in Proverbs 8, the verse 17 and the verse 35, we're given wonderful encouragement because you're maybe thinking, well, what if I run to Christ and he rejects me? And he refuses me because I'm too great a sinner. I love them, he said, that love me. Those that seek me early shall find me. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Here's the reason that we should apply ourselves because we are finding Christ when we find wisdom. But then the road to this application, not only the reason for the application, the road to the application. You might find in your margin that the word apply can literally be given as cause to come. And for me, that paints a vivid picture. 
Apply your heart. Cause to come. It emphasizes how big a deal it is for our hearts to be applied unto wisdom. You see, wisdom doesn't drop into our heart naturally. It doesn't come automatically. Deceit does. Wickedness does. Evil does. Sin does. All kinds of terrible wickedness does. They come to us naturally because by nature we are sinners. But wisdom is a stranger. Wisdom is an alien. And that's why we're told here, apply our hearts unto wisdom or cause to come. May our hearts be led to, dragged to even, that wisdom, they must be wrenched away from all of the other degrading vanities that we're so submerged in, engrossed by, day by day, and they must be focused and fixed and fastened to the one who is the wisdom of God. cause our hearts to come on to wisdom. And as we do, there will be a realization. The penny will drop. Things will dawn upon our mind. We'll make conclusions that we usually don't want to make. And as we close in on wisdom by the Spirit and grace of God, we'll realize the emptiness of this present life points us to the fact there has to be a world to come. How can it be possible that this soul of mine, capable of remembering, capable of reasoning as it does, able to learn about its Creator, able to serve Him, able to appreciate His mighty power, how can this soul of mine possibly have been created to merely act out the poor, short part it does on this world below? There must be more than this. And of course there is. And maybe the older you grow, the more you realize, you know the things that used to be really fascinating? They were magnetized. They were drawing me in. I felt they were worth pursuing and expending my energy and my finance on. And then you get to the stage where you think it's not worth it at all. The emptiness of this present life, wisdom will teach you. It's proof there is a life to come. You'll also conclude, neither the good things or the evil things that happen to us in this life, this life that passes so quickly, should make a deep impression upon my eternal soul. If I remember when good comes, and if I remember when bad comes, if I remember in those days, there's much more to come in eternity. It'll change my perspective. I think of the rich man in Luke 16. And he was geared towards accumulation of riches. That's all that stirred him. Got him out of bed in the morning. Made him dream when he was lying in bed at night. It was how to make more money than what he had done before. And we have Lazarus the beggar. And all he had in life was sickness and sorrow and distress, and he knew tomorrow will be as today. In fact, it's getting worse. 
But those evil things had a fleeting impression upon him because he knew there's an eternity to come. And that rich man had no idea that what he counted as good in his life was passing as quickly as he was. There's another conclusion we reach. Because the prophet Hosea tells us it's time to seek the Lord. This life is a season of probation. Wisdom will tell us that. Here's my opportunity to secure everlasting happiness. And if I don't, then an eternal hell is mine. It's a time of preparation. That's why we're here, preparing what for? Preparing for eternity. I need to get ready. You need to get ready for what lies beyond the grave, and we need to do so before we reach that grave ourselves. Are you ready? This is absolutely essential. The secretary to Queen Elizabeth I was a man by the name of Sir Thomas Smith. And he said one day, it's a great pity that men did not know to what end they were born into this world until they were ready to go out of it. In other words, the penny was long in dropping with them. And for many, the penny doesn't drop at all. Wisdom doesn't come. They don't apply their hearts in this direction. God forbid there be men and women in this congregation or listening online like that, just drifting through life, seeking pleasure and sinking in perverseness and oblivious to the stark fact of the matter that the real purpose that we have in this world is to be in this place of preparation. We're just on the doorstep of eternity. And standing as you and I are on the doorstep to eternity, I need right now to be ready for what's coming. Moses made a calculation. He applied his heart unto wisdom. And I find that he did that over in the book of Hebrews in particular because Hebrews records this about him in Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 26. By faith Moses... When he was come to years, refused, he made a decision, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather. He calculated, choosing rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming, he's calculating again, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What was happening there, according to Hebrews? Well, Moses, the author of this psalm, was sitting down, and he was doing some maths. He had filled the slippers of an accountant, and he came with a ledger sheet. And on the left side of the ledger, all of his pleasures and sins pleasures. They were going to be listed. And he put them all down and against every one of them a dash. And he wrote there, sin, 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 temporal, 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 temporal. On the other side of the ledger, there was another word at the top, and he put 
not sin's pleasure, but sin's punishment. And next to every one of those sins that he engaged in, he put another dash. This pleasure, it was temporal, it's punishment, eternal. This pleasure, it's temporal, it's punishment, eternal. This pleasure as well, it's temporal, it's passes, but it's punishment doesn't. It's eternal. And when he came to the end of that ledger sheet and he drew lines at the bottom and he added it all up, he said this, what have I got? Even if all of my senses were to be saturated with every kind of carnal pleasure, I'll tell you, it's not lasting, it's temporal. For time plus time plus time plus time is still only time, but eternity plus eternity plus eternity is eternity. And Moses said, I'm not playing the fool here. He applied his heart unto wisdom. So he turned us back on Egypt and all of its pleasures, and he went out to face what he knew was going to be suffering in the flesh, and he went out to batter down his lust, and he went out to turn from human pride, and away from its pomp, and away from its glory, and he went out there to walk with the people of God, for he said, I've no choice. I've done my ledger work. I've run up the accounts. I'm making the application. Tell me, have you done yours? Make sure you do. It's not a good bargain to keep going on seeking for the pleasures of sin for a few more days and then drink the wrath of God through all eternity. Do you want to chase down another defilement? for just a fleeting bit of pleasure, to find yourself married to its punishment forever? Will you refuse Jesus Christ tonight when you could enter hell tomorrow and never to get out again? I plead with you, number your days, number your days, that you may apply your hearts unto wisdom, apply unto Christ. So we find in Moses' words, there's an account to be taken, an application to be made, and finally, there's also an appeal to be offered, an appeal to be offered. Moses is breaking out into further prayer in Psalm 90 verse 12. And he's directing these words to God in heaven, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He's saying, Lord, you need to be my teacher here, because I'm never going to make the calculation myself unaided. God helped him with the ledger sheet. God was his teacher in numbering his days and applying his heart unto wisdom. And it's absolutely necessary that the Lord should make men number their days. And some people will think, well, do you think we're stupid? Totally foolish. Can't work this out. Don't we see enough around us? 
to show us our frailty and to say that decay is already in our bodies and disease will be there and the seeds of decay are there. Do we really stand in need of a supernatural impression of it all? Does God have to teach us all of this? It isn't the case in other things. Take other things and the mere frequency of those things occurring is enough for us to expect those events. In other words, the farmer doesn't pray that somehow he'll be made to believe that the seed must be buried and die before it'll germinate. That's always happened before. That's how it works. So why pray about it? The seaman doesn't pray to be taught that his compass needle points toward the north. It's always done that since the secret was discovered. Why pray about that? The man going to bed at night doesn't pray to be made to feel convinced that the sun will rise again in a matter of hours because morning has come after night as long as the earth has endured. He doesn't have to pray about that. And yet it's among the strangest of strange things to see how we can look at experience and fact and science for our belief in these things, but fact and experience and science doesn't seem to register with us when it comes to the shortness of our lifespan. And what makes it even more surprising is this is more uniform, more guaranteed than any of the examples I have just given. In other words, the grain doesn't always germinate, but every man dies. The needle doesn't always point north, but every man dies. The sun doesn't always cross the horizon in every place during every 24 hours where you can see it blazing through. You didn't see too much of it today. Due to the fog, it looked more like the moon than it did like the sun. And yet we must pray to be taught, to be made to believe that every man does die. So teach us to number our days. God must teach us. When you come to a precipice, and you look a thousand feet down, you'll become, I would imagine, rather wobbly at the knees and dizzy and want to hold on to something that's firm. How will your unprepared soul feel when it comes to the close of life and it looks over the brink into God's eternity racing towards you further than a stone could drop in a thousand years and unbearable forces are pushing you on to that edge on and over, on and over and you know there's nothing to clutch on the way down nothing to stop you, nothing to hold you nothing to save your eternal soul because you've left it too late Too late to appeal in the words of Psalm 90 and 12 then. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom because at that point you've missed wisdom, you've bypassed and rejected Christ, 
You've forfeited heaven. You're lost forever. And that's why there's urgency in Moses' words. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Pray these words now. Plead them in earnest. Offer them in time. Be saved tonight. May God grant that for His grace and for your good.